Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to the first sponsor of On the Other Side, Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole is allowing users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. So the longer-term vision for Rabbit Hole is building essentially the open credentialing system for Web3. To build that credentialing system, it's important that they're decentralized. And so the Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in learning more about Rabbit Hole, check out Rabbit Hole at rabbithole.gg. You can also check them out on Twitter, rabbithole underscore gg. And if you're interested in learning more about the Pathfinder program, which is the first step to the Rabbit Hole DAO, you can check it out at rabbithole.gg slash pathfinder. All right, let's hop into the show. I am here with Yana Sosnovskaya from Zora. Yana, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity. I'm so excited to chat about all things culture today. But before we get into that, do you want to give a little bit of background on you and how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm originally from Moscow, Russia, currently based in Los Angeles, and I've spent the majority of my life actually working and being in culture. I studied theater, I later worked in film, then I had my own cultural platform project in Los Angeles that involved fashion and a digital media in it. And in the middle of um, 2021, I just started seeing how some of my friends are getting absorbed by Web3. And I think the most kind of often word used by them was the community. They were like, community is amazing, community is amazing. And this is how I got involved uh, with Web3 and got totally sucked in. And I probably can't imagine my life without it right now. I think I'm a little bit too obsessed with it because I (laughs) spent too much time with people in Web3 and did not spend any time with people outside of it. But I think, yeah, just like a learning curve for sure. Oh my gosh, I completely resonate with that. And I think a lot of people probably do. It feels like Web3 is an infinite garden. And then maybe just a little bit for context, what you're working on. I know you're doing some cool stuff with Zora. You're also involved with FWB. So do you want to give a little bit of background on what you're working on in that space as well? Yeah, for sure. I am leading brand and marketing departments at Zora. And I'm leading the press relationship at FWB. But I also do a lot more at FWB. I'm just like all over the place. I'm helping with the design. I'm helping to bring in some artists and in general enjoy spending time with folks from the editorial team and the artist team that are bringing artists on board at FWB. And with Zora, I think it's also whenever I send like brand marketing, it's not really in the traditional sense of like Web2 marketing because Zora just operates on a very different kind of modality and we really want to make sure that we help creators and builders and creative technologists 
to establish new subculture, which I'd love to talk more about later. But yeah, it's just, it's not just marketing. It's about creating the whole subculture around that. I'm so excited to dive into the cultural and subcultural aspects. I know you're doing a lot of thinking about this at Zora, but you've also thought a lot about this outside of the Web3 context. Before we dive deeply into that, I think it would be interesting to define culture and then maybe subculture more broadly, like as it exists outside of crypto. And then we can dive into uh, that within crypto. Yeah, for sure. So if you'll just even look up the definition of culture, you'll see that from the beginning of ages, culture referred to the ways how people live in a particular society. And that can include different values, norms, ideas, attitudes. And in terms of the expression, that can be led into creative aspect, music, arts, languages, some behavioral norms. This is all in a very like broad context of what actually culture is. And subculture is something that exists within a group, within society. This is something that actually didn't go mass. And this is the, these are the biggest differences. And subcultures can have, within the biggest culture, they can have very different aspects of it. It can be expressed through different looks. It can be expressed through different ideas and values. And this is just basically like a society within the society. I love that. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on culture in Web3. It feels like Web3 is its own subculture of this greater movement, but I'm really curious how you think about Web3 culture and maybe we'll dive in as the second part of this, what the role of culture in Web3 is, but I'm curious how you think more broadly about that. Yeah, I think it's actually a super interesting question and I'm just excited to see that more and more people pick up on that and they actually start understanding the importance of creating technology with culture and thinking about cultural aspect. I think probably the most interesting aspect of culture in Web3 is that this is probably the first wave of tech that's built on the digital culture heritage. Just because if we'll look, the previous waves of tech built, even if you look like Steve Jobs and what things that inspired him and what he was taking into consideration and looking at, it was very much based on the hippie movement and later what was new age. And that was him trying to create the technological movement and that technological product that was based off the uh, movements that were existing IRL. It was a very similar process with the Web2 because everything that, you know, like a few, very few companies that existed in the Web2 that were value-driven, they were still taking the inspiration based on the IRL. And also the biggest problem with the Web2 is that most of the companies were actually not culture or value-driven at all. And this is why we end up having things like Facebook and with all the you know consequences that we have from Facebook. And I think this is why Web3 is so unique and interesting that it's the first type of movement that is based on the online and digital culture. All the references, because even if you look at the designs, even if you look at the just even generation of people who were raised by SoundCloud and Tumblr, we're all already very much digital native and we're building on top of existing digital cultures. 
So this is what makes Web3 so unique and interesting. Wow, I had never thought of it that way. That is a really interesting perspective. And it almost feels like the genesis of this technology, it feels like very much came out of the 2008 financial crisis, this acknowledgement that the way that we were building wasn't necessarily fair to everyone or owned by everyone. I'm actually curious, when you think about it in that context and how it's evolved, how much is the impetus or the sort of like start of something related to the culture that it then draws on? Because it feels like those are actually two different things where like the financial crisis might have been the sort of like start of this technology, but it has taken on an entirely new culture, it feels like. I mean, of course, Bitcoin culture is sort of its own subculture, but I'm curious how you think about that dynamic. Yeah, I think it actually can go both ways. And I think we would often see society basically splitting. And it's just very natural that there will be some people who would be interested in the cultural aspect and anything that is value driven. And then there would be another part that's actually interested, for example, just in a pure technology or in a pure financial aspect of um technology or a movement or whatever is happening. So I do think that obviously, you know, anything that happens within the society, it will affect a cultural aspect of it and any other aspects as well. But the way projects are being built and the movements are being born, it really depends on the people who form it. And that's why I'm very much concerned about Web3 having enough conversation about culture and being value-driven so we just don't repeat the mistakes of Web2, where people were creating technology just for the sake of technology. Yeah, I think that's super important. And I'm curious, when you talk about these conversations around culture, what does that actually look like? Uh, in Twitter? <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's just very important seeing that because of you know the barrier getting into Web3 is still quite high and still can be inaccessible for people from the technological point of view, just even because we trained to a different UX, UI. And sometimes it can be just a very tech-heavy language, even the way how we explain that. So I think a lot of people from culture are still pretty much scared off into diving deeper into that. And they still think that there is just technological aspect. So it takes just a lot of time to onboard them and explain the, the value level of it. But once people get in, it's very interesting to observe the level of passion and commitment that's being kind of raised in there. And I think there are a few really interesting people. And I, I think you've had Circe in your podcast, who is really a big driver for culture. I think New Models, they're based in Berlin and other internet by Toby Shorin. These are people who are raising very important conversations about culture and they provide the analytical side of conversation about what was done wrong, what are the previous mistakes of previous generations, and how we can be conscious and aware of them. And we start these conversations right now that we prevent Web3 from tapping into the same mistakes. Oh, that's interesting. So it's almost in a lot of ways like conversation about culture and consciously shaping culture is actually sort of the beginnings of building a better digital world in general because what we're building is coming out of this culture that we're intentionally building. Absolutely. And I can tell you for sure that 
it is actually every subcultural movement or cultural movement was, I don't want to say planned out, but it was created consciously and thought through because one of the core aspects of culture is a, some sort of manifestation of these values and messaging. It's the way how you going to spread these messages. And because culture, one of the fastest way to spread this messaging um, through, you know, all the aspects of art, fashion, that's why it's important how people look, all these types of signaling, it's all kind of been molded by the people who are starting this or another subcultural movement. So I do think that it is very important that right now, even we're not really at the very beginning, it's already Web3 is getting mass because I don't think it's in the subculture anymore. I think it's much more mass right now. But I still do think it is extremely important that people who do have visibility, that they set the right values for the people who are going to be adapting the movement. What that reminds me of in a lot of ways is all of these different aspects of culture that you were talking about when you were defining culture more broadly in the beginning that feel really unique to Web3, like GM, the language that we use that's sort of along those lines, but also a lot of these values that we hold true, funding public goods, just a bunch of different things that feel really important to the Web3 ecosystem. And when you talk about more people coming in and having this culture be more broadly adopted, what it reminds me of in a lot of ways is this weird thing that's going on where like you'll have a large company buy a CryptoPunk or tweet GM, and it feels like they're tapping into this culture that we've built. But there is this question in the back of my mind, and I think a lot of other people probably have this, where it's like, but they, do they understand and actually feel deeply aligned with the rest of the culture that we've built around these things like GM and stuff like that. And I'm curious what the best way to navigate that is. I know the internet went through a weird phase as well, where the early stages of the internet had a very specific culture and then everybody got on board and it was a little bit different. How do you think about navigating that where there's definitely potentially a disconnect between people who are adopting certain aspects of our culture, like language and visuals and fashion, if you think NFT, PFPs are fashion, and then this other world where we have all these values that maybe they don't understand? This is a question that people have been asking for generations, those people who especially have been forming cultures and subcultures, and there is no like kind of playbook for this. And the reason why it's always going to be happening like that is just because whenever some sort of movement is being born and it's usually created by the people who are at the core moment of creating a trend, they put a lot of you know work into create the right value system, create the right messaging system. And once it's going to go mass and being adopted by masses, this is where you will see big capital being very interested because they're basically interested in capitalizing and monetizing the masses that are following the trend. So this has been there forever. And I think there are just interesting ways how you can actually work with bigger companies and bigger capital in order to use it for um, keep spreading the values and the message that was originally in the subcultural movement. I think it's just important that we're being very careful selecting partners and brands that we're working with. This is something that I've been actually lacking in Web3 that folks don't always do enough research because some 
big companies, some maybe big brand comes in and it's very exciting, especially for artists who didn't have visibility enough before Web3 and people just say yes and jump into the project without doing proper research. And I've seen a few companies and brands that have been so-called canceled outside of Web3 and Web3 folks just giving them another round of life without proper research, which is a whole another um, very complicated conversation about just the cancel culture, because there are a lot of ethical questions about should people and brands be revived from it and yada, yada. But I just wish that people in Web3 maybe thought a little bit more about reputation and other aspects of life, like society, politics, and culture, and what kind of heritage brands and people are bringing into Web3 and that maybe we just should do a little bit more research on each other and what we were doing before Web3 and if what we're doing, the projects and values are actually aligned what we're trying to do right now. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting like topic of conversation that I know has come up a lot recently. I've seen conversations about that on Twitter. And it kind of reminds me of this broader question, which is like, why is it important to think about cultural context of people who are outside of Web3 or in Web3? And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's the matter of choice, basically. I think we can look how it was done in Web2. For example, even the Facebook slogan, you know, move fast and break things, we can already right now say it doesn't work. And that was the great example of company who was purely focused on the technology and wasn't really interested in creating any sort of culture around that. Obviously, there, there are people and there will be people who would want to do things in exactly the same way, even within Web3. I think it's just important that the majority of people has values in creating public good and societal good. And for that, culture is just the necessary aspect for spreading the values and message and ideas. And it's also the fastest way because whenever even I say fashion, I don't really mean like Web3 fashion as like PFP, but I mean that we don't even know how Web3 community looks like outside of, you know, Twitter profile pic. Like, I would love to see how people actually dress, what they wear, and um, if there are any sorts of fashion trends, because fashion is still a very important way of signaling. So how do I recognize my Web3 folks outside of Twitter? Like, I would love to be able to do that and to get them interested in in fashion as a another expressive medium, because fashion is also going digital at the moment. And just to kind of see for them that we don't have to always work within just visual or audio medium, but there are so many other mediums that create the value system and help the messaging to be spread. It's interesting because I hadn't thought about culture as this way of finding your people and signaling, but it feels like it is in a lot of ways. Like when I see someone tweet GM or when I see someone who I think, yeah, like dresses in a way that's really interesting to me, that's signaling my people. And it's kind of interesting that right now in Web3, we are pretty much limited to your point about, you know, Discord and Twitter. Like we're basically limited to these platforms that are so flat when it comes to the ways that we can express culture because they're text-based or voice sometimes. I'm curious how you think culture is going to evolve in the metaverse. 
<laughs> Do you know, it's very interesting because for me, as a person from cultural background, when you say that the platforms, communication platforms look flat, for me, they feel refreshing just because I, maybe I got a little bit tired from IRL signaling. And right now, I really fully embrace the ability to communicate with people and learn something outside of my bubble, because I think we all tend to stick in our bubbles and Web3 definitely solves that problem. But as I said before, I'm very curious to show to people who were not maybe knowing a lot about culture or didn't really understand its value to show like how actually cool and, and fun and important it is. In terms of culture, how that can look in metaverse, I actually, I think there are like some fun ideas that we've been throwing at each other with some FWB folks and Zora about creating some sort of lifestyle, because this is what very often defines, it's like the external definition of some sort of subculture. And these are just like traditional cultural products. You can do events, you can do street style, street fashion, photography, you can do editorial projects, you can actually do merch and like physical garments, and this is going to be another level of signaling. But just think about anything where you connect with people, not over technology, but basically like IRL, and it's quite easy to transform uh, that into Web3, just bring it into the digital. And it's very interesting to see that there are a lot of projects right now that are just tapping, like digital fashion, they're just tapping into digital. And it's really interesting to see if people are going to start adapting that and what sort of value there is going to be. Like, is it going to be for like new PFPs, like a digital outfit? Is it going to be uh, for collectors who are just going to be collecting like they do right now, for example, with sneakers and kicks, if it's just going to be like some sort of collectible thing, if it's going to be any sort of creative medium for designers who are just going to switch from actual physical patterns into creating some sort of digital garments. So I think we're just in the beginning. It's really interesting to see. I don't think there is going to change anything about human psychology, how we're using culture. And that it's like a big tool for us, but it's just going to be a different mediums. Yeah, I think that's definitely a, a thread that feels like I keep discovering in crypto, which is that we're never going to change human psychology. Humans are probably going to act in a similar way that they always have. And so it's really a question of thinking about the ways in which we currently engage with things and how changing the medium might change how we engage or, or things like that. When I think about this idea of, you know, a designer piece of clothing, but in the metaverse and all these different things, my mind goes to ownership, which to me is also fundamental to Web3. I'm curious what you think the relationship is between culture and ownership, because that feels like a foundational aspect of Web3. I'm curious if you think that ownership like has a special role in culture in Web3. Yeah, I think for sure. And we're going back here to some sort of a status and also just signaling, because this, when I say the status, I don't mean uh, necessarily the financial status. And sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. But mostly, I think for people in different, belonging to different cultures and subcultures, you, as you mentioned before, you want to be recognized with, by people with a similar values. And this is how you use cultural products to find where you belong and find your community. For example, if you're going to a concert, um, you know that people around there, like in a concert, the crowd at least has the same musical taste and they probably experience very similar um, feelings to you at the moment. And this feeling of belonging 
is, I think it's one of the core aspects of human psychology where like social creatures who really need this. So I do think that um, obviously the, that sort of aspect of owning a status is a big thing in culture, but there always also was the same aspect, very similar to Web3 is the support of an artist whom you like. And it can be, once again, any medium. It can be audio medium, it can be visual medium, it can be fashion, sculpture, performance, whatever. You just want to support an artist and that aspect of ownership also comes in culture. Yeah, I think it's really interesting the way that ownership can engage with all of these different aspects of culture. And it does feel like a lot of Web3's new medium for building it, whereas like even status felt like very much an attention game in the digital landscape up until now, basically, because it's been about like followers. And of course, there were other ways to signal status, but it felt very much like that was a primary means for most people. Now, like that being said, I'm curious, I know you've thought a lot about culture, you have a very deep sort of background in culture. When you think about what has sort of set the stage for this moment in going into Web3 and all of that, like what significant movements or moments set the stage for where we're at right now? It's a great question. Um, I think there have been a few digital projects and digital movements that definitely affected that. I think what comes to my mind probably visually, it definitely Tumblr from the ideas perspective. I think Hackers Manifesto definitely affected. I do also want to believe that a lot of Steve Jobs ideas, because at least we all have at least one product of Apple affected that. And I think definitely SoundCloud for sure for music. It's very interesting, which is like a, a older piece of history and it's more like analog, but I started seeing it popping it more often that the whole earth catalog has been kind of a source of inspiration. And if you actually dive deeply into that, you can see a lot of really interesting and vibrant ideas about starting a movement and starting a society and how you can actually, what, how you can build it, what tools you can be using for that. So I think a whole earth catalog is definitely one of the very important pieces for anyone who is interested in, in creating a movement. Are there certain pieces or moments that you think could be guiding lights for where we're going? Because it does feel like a lot of times when we talk about Web3 and we think about it, we are not like creating something new or new vision. I mean, I think in some ways we are, but I think in a lot of ways we're using a new technology to see through a vision that a lot of people have hoped would exist digitally. And so I'm curious if there are pieces of culture that sort of embody this that we can play off of and play with. I think you always want to look at the values that specific movement has. And from there, you can actually see with what previous uh, movements, cultures, and subcultures it can resonate with. For now, it seems that, you know, the decentralization aspect to the permissionless aspect, um, a lot of projects are doing things for free. It very much comes for me for resonance uh, with keeping movement and also with progressive ideas and socialists, which maybe a lot of people will disagree with me because I know there are a lot of libertarians in this space in Web3. But I think 
it's important to look at the existing societal and economical systems, learn and maybe break them apart and see on the history example if they succeeded or failed somewhere and just learn from there. Because a lot of things that Web3 is trying to build right now, I think is it has a very distinct difference from Web2. First of all, that it does have values. Second, that it's optimistic comparing to Web2 that didn't really have a point of view on that. And also Web3 seems to prioritize community and community goods, which very much speaks to me as a socialist value. And I think it's important for people to look at the roots, where it comes from, see what resonates and speaks with them from existing societal, economical, and political systems, and see what they can actually take as inspiration going further. There is, as you said, there is nothing really much to invent is just probably the attitude, which is different, which is optimism, and and ability to think through different scenarios is extremely important. And this is what Web2 was lacking. This is why we ended up in 2016 with the U.S. elections. And Web2 didn't really think about any consequences whenever they were creating anything. And I really hope that Web3 is going to learn from that And whenever there is any sort of project, we should understand there is a great responsibility coming with it. And we should think through all the possible scenarios of what can go wrong and how we're going to actually address that if it goes wrong. Yeah, I think that's definitely an interesting shift for us from Web 2 to Web 3, particularly because it feels like there are sort of two potential mindsets. One is that no matter what, people are going to try things. It's inevitable. And the alternative of that is if we can think of these things beforehand and build with them actively, then maybe we'll be able to avoid some of these challenges. If Mark Zuckerberg had been openly talking about some of the challenges that Facebook was facing and trade-offs with monetization, we'd be in a better position, which to me feels like it speaks to this open, transparent nature of Web3. Um, I'm curious if there have been cultures that you've been particularly familiar with that have really pushed this open, transparent narrative and had that type of norm? Because that feels a little bit unique to me. Like I've struggled to find other than maybe a couple different, like Ray Dalio very famously had a hedge fund or has a hedge fund that's very transparent. But I'm curious if there are other cultural like movements that have put transparency at the forefront in the way that Web3 has. Do you know, it's very interesting because when I first tapped into Web3, I was joking with my friends that it does a little bit resemble to me as a cult. And mm-hmm. I'm um, pretty much interested in studying different cults. And if you look at them, all the societies within societies have actually failed. None of them survived. If you look at the, the Osho system, if you look at the bunch of California movements during the New Age, where it was coming, all of them have failed, even though they were trying to tap into the aspect of transparency. But the reason why they failed, I think there are two reasons. First is they did still stay as centralized organizations, because there was no technological aspect for that to be decentralized. And because psychological factor also of people letting go of the power is extremely complex. And once we have the technology where it doesn't depend really on a 
human being, it makes it much easier to embrace the decentralization. And the second aspect is that all of them were existing separately from the main society. And I have a deep belief that you can't really succeed in creating any sort of movement if you don't think about society as a whole. If you're trying to separate it and live in a bubble, you're going to fail. So I think it's extremely important that Web3 speaks to the masses. It speaks um, to the problems and issues that like our grandmothers have, like our parents have, our neighbors have, and makes it available for them. And that way we can succeed in spreading values and messages that Web3 has in it. So I do think it's extremely important to work within the larger society and make sure that it's accessible by anyone. It is interesting because I was talking to Julia Rosenberg from Orca about this, but I love Julia. She is the <laughs> Can best. <I> say hi? <laughs> yes. Hi, Julia. <laughs> she is, oh my gosh, I love her. But we were talking about the way that people consume crypto Twitter and how we are sort of in these like echo chambers where she was saying it's almost like we're all on the same psychedelic. Everybody has decided that like, the future is this way or the current state is this way. And so we talk about things as if they're sort of like definite. But if you ask people outside of Web3 and crypto, they might not at all agree. And so what I think is interesting is right now, whenever people are coming into Web3, people who I know personally, I say you have to get on Twitter because I have been in the space since 2018, but I was not on Twitter and until, until recently. And I'm almost like, what was I doing? Like, how did I even know what was going on? Because it feels like so much of this discourse is happening on Twitter and so much of the culture building is happening on Twitter. I'm curious how you think we bring people in when they're not using these types of tools. And this kind of gets back to the question from earlier, but it really feels apparent to me in that my grandma's never going to get on crypto Twitter, but that really is where so much of this culture building happens. And so I'm curious if you have thoughts on how we build that culture without making people use these tools that we use like crazy. Before I answer that, I actually uh, want to tell you about a series of essays written by an artist called Matthew Stone from UK. And I think it might be a little bit tricky to find it online, but I asked him, he promised me that he'll put it online and I'll be happy to share that. It's called um, Optimism as a Cultural Rebellion. And I think that... What we're experiencing in crypto Twitter is the matter of choice, us deciding to be optimists and seeing the future in a brighter light. And I think it's extremely important aspect of Web3 and not just with Web3, but just like building anything for future is being actively optimistic about it. And we just have to understand that not everyone is like that. But it has a very strong power, even if just a small group of people is like that, those people who are actually creating projects that are going to be affecting others, it's going to make everyone's lives better. And speaking of the um, ways how we can you know, bring in more people, there is another quote from the artist Jenny Halter, which is like one of my favorite quotes. I have it like in front of me every day. And it says, use what is dominant in culture to change it quickly. So it might mean that we right now still need to use the tools that people have adopted in masses. I hate to say it, but like even Instagram or 
maybe mass media or even if still people on a Facebook and think about how to deliver those messages there the core messages of Web3 for them and also make sure that the transition for them is accessible. Because right now the whole UX, UI user flow is so complex and it's only accessible, for example, for people of certain generations. Like my grandmother is going to be struggling a lot with setting up a MetaMask wallet. and But I would love her to get there just because I know it's going to be very much aligned with her values. And she was the person who was dreaming of decentralization growing up in the communist country. So I do think that we have a lot of work to do on making sure that technology is accessible and not be shying away from the existing platforms just for us to spread the ideas and the messages. I love that. I think that is such a good piece of advice for us as we move into this space where we're trying to get more people to understand and adopt like Web3. I'm curious on that note, because those are two really good resources. Are there other things that people in Web3 building should be looking at or thinking about in terms of how we build, in terms of aspects of culture? Like, I'm curious if there are any other things that you think are really important for us to be thinking about. Funny enough, and it's, I hate to say it, but I think I'm not trying to throw any shade, even that I don't understand that project on Constitution DAO, but I do think that it's important to know the basics and for people even to read the Constitution and start with a very basic um, understanding of societal and political systems, as I said. And from there, you can actually study and learn more if there are any aspects that you disagree with and you think are done wrong and we can do better within Web3. Because ultimately, NFTs are amazing. Creators' economy is amazing. But I do think that very big part of community in Web3 is in it to see a brighter future in societal and political aspect. When I'm really looking forward to the moment when we'll be able to have a decentralized voting system, for example, or ID system or medical system being on a blockchain and, and medical ID with all the records and stuff like that, just because I think that will really help us to solve a lot of problems, starting from inequality, at least, you know, making it a little better. I'm not sure we can like completely solve it, but at least making it better and to racial injustice and maybe even at some point with immigration and and borders, all the things that the current systems were not be able to solve for majority of countries. And also a lot of people, the majority of people in Web3, they're based in the U.S. And that's some sort of a bubble itself as well. I think it's extremely important to talk to the people from different countries, especially there is an opinion that African countries are going to really blow on the blockchain technology and there's going to be a huge progress happening there and it's coming from Africa. I think it's extremely important to talk to people who are not, who are outside of US bubble and to understand what are their needs actually and what are their perspective on how blockchain can change their lives. Oh my gosh, yes. I have talked to so many people about this, but I think the current demographic in Web3 is very much not reflective of everyone else in the world. And so we have this strange problem where a lot of our products are and culture is built for 
a group of people and by a group of people that are not representative of everyone who ultimately will be using this technology. And that's to our detriment. So something that we definitely need to be working on and thinking more about. I agree completely. And I think this is quite a big challenge for Web3. And that's why I know, once again, people like Sirsu or Latasha are doing a lot of work to bring um, more people from different communities to make sure that we have as many voices as possible, just because it doesn't make sense for us to create another monetization opportunity for people who already um, have everything. Yes. Oh my gosh. So important. Before we wrap up, I have a segment at the end of the show, which is what is your favorite thing in your wallet? It can be an ERC-20, an NFT, but what is your favorite thing in your wallet? So I unfortunately had recently my wallet compromised, which was pretty dumb of me, but there is a beautiful story to it because I do have probably two things that I really like. And one is the permanent digital project. And another one is a Holly Herndon DAO token. And my Holly Herndon token was um, stolen by the hackers. But within a few days, actually, Latasha is absolutely amazing human being. She just gifted me one. So I got it back. And I think it's another example of how Web3 community and folks can support each other. But also there was something really special about how women in the space can support each other. So I'm still very much touched by her gift. But yeah, I got my Holly Herndon token back. That's amazing. I love that. And yes, Latasha is absolutely an icon in this space. Actually, she's coming on the podcast next week, which will be fun. But I love that. And I love Impermanent Digital as well. That project is really cool. And I love that they're actually tied to punks too. There's a lot of cool aspects of that project. Yana, where can people find you online? Twitter, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> um, and my Twitter handle is Yana Sosna. Or you can even hit me up through Zora and just like DM at Zora Twitter and me or somewhere else will um, get back to you. Beautiful. Yana, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so fun to chat and I appreciate you sharing all about culture. It's definitely a conversation that we'll have to continue in this space. So I'm excited to have had that convo here. Thank you so much, Chase. It was a very lovely chat with you. Thank you. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.